I stand firmly in the fact that I'm one of the best to ever do this. For my city, for my coast, for my culture. This is my declaration. This is the best rapper in LA podcast. Podcast. Welcome. This is the free version of Best Rapper in LA podcast. If you're on patreon.com slash merch 316, you wouldn't have to wait. We're still there banging out new songs and freestyles every month. Um, I'll give you a taste of those at the end like we usually do. This is a breakdown of all my albums. Story time, motherfuckers. motherfuckers. This was the shift for me making the majority of my money selling weed. Uh, maybe half and half at this point. I wasn't a full-time rapper yet. I have been to Europe. I think I no longer had a job at Rasputin's, a store on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley where we used to sell tapes. We also used to buy weed or sell, I used to sell weed and we used to hang out and uh, there was a smoke shop called Annapurna. There was a Tower Records at one point, uh, Leopold's, Blondie's Pizza, Fat Slice Pizza, the guy who owned Blondie's, who owned the t-shirt store and some other property on Telegraph, like owned the actual buildings, also owned Rasputin's. And uh, thanks to a woman named Daria, who used to work at Priority Records, she gave me a job on the strength of Tom and Corey, who are mystic journeymen at Rasputin's, which cut down on my weed sales a little bit. But I did sell weed out of Rasputin's, sorry, Daria, for a little while as well. <coughs> This is a weird way to start the episode, but uh, the guy who owns Rasputin's looks like Matt Groening, Groening, I don't know how to say his name, from The um, Simpsons. And at Rasputin's, you had a, like CDs, and they had to be upstocked. Everything had to be upstocked. So there was just enough, one CD's worth of space where you could flip through the CDs. It didn't matter if it was fucking Destiny's Child and Chili Powder, who was a Bay Area artist at the time, or whoever. And we were out of Destiny's Child CDs. You had to find more Chili Powder CDs to fill it up or move shit over to fill. Every bin had to be filled, and that was your job all day. Because the guy who owned Rasputin's looked like Matt Groening, Groening, I can't fuck him up his name, sorry. Like the comic book guy from there. Your attention, please or that guy himself, just bummy, like regular, not even a mediocre white male. I don't know if you guys ever heard the saying, having the confidence of a mediocre white male. He looked like he could possibly be almost homeless. And people say that about me, so I'm not being offensive, but, and he would come in until I learned what he looked like. Cause no one would really tell you, your managers wouldn't really tell you but he would check the bins and you would get fired on the spot if he could if he could put two fingers instead of one finger in the CD thing. So I walked around paranoid all day. That's how I got kind of more connected with um, a group of young ladies around this time that were going to Berkeley from LA that uh, really changed my life. Um, one of them whom is the inspiration for the song First Love. Um, but we'll get to that later. I grew up on Wonder Year. She was saved by the bell. I was boys in the hood. She was ATL. Used to sell weed to a roommate. That's how we met. Old girl didn't smoke, but she had jokes on deck. No I started selling weed to them and hanging out with them. Thanks to another friend of mine and my best friend Terry and his girlfriend. And we just, it was a, a tight circle. black kids coming to our shows. We were doing weekly shows at a place called La Pena, which is a cultural center on Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley, California. And uh, Tom and Corey, Mystic Jeremy had a weekly, and that's where I started with a rot to doing my song. We kept it going for a while. And I think like Zion and I took it over eventually when we started touring and I moved back to LA. Those girls and many other black people, like I said, believe it or not, would go, the crowds are predominantly black and Latino then. But working at Rasputin's kind of got me in, in there. So that's what I was doing around this time. I met a guy that was in a group called Mixed Practice named 
Walter Taylor, who also went by Walt Laker, who also went by Eclipse 427. Y'all be putting too much weight on it Twice as nice on thin ice Create the figure eight on it Putting words together like a verbal record Set disrespecting your copyrights You nerds just ain't protected yet Inject a set of deaf lyrics into the vein I know you hated that you received the mutated strain And uh, his group had kind of broken up There are three people in his group uh, Prop and Stiz and I came from a group of three people and my group had just broken up, which is Melancholy Gypsies. And we were both the youngest in those groups and at the time, the most business minded and driven. So when Mystic Journeyman introduced us, he had a house out in Fremont, really solid parents, good people, as far as I know. Um, and they bought him a studio and he had all the equipment and he had a car and he had a fly girlfriend and he was just a cool dude. And uh, he would take us to San Jose and he was really trying to be down with Living Legends or be down with Mystic Journeyman who created Living Legends and kind of boxed him out. This album's called For Real. This one is what we're talking about this month. We were all at this time living, I think we were living in the outhouse, which was a huge warehouse in the East Oakland, which we converted into eight cubby holes. Um, Grouch was beneath me and uh, he wouldn't give me beats. Sunspot really didn't give me a lot of beats. I wasn't a dope rapper. I wasn't rapping on beat. I wasn't. My hooks weren't. I was a good freestyler. Didn't know how to count bars. I didn't know. I, I didn't know a bunch of shit, man. Um, wasn't good at memorizing. Wasn't good at my delivery. Everything was so aggressive. Uh, I was a very angry kid. When I went back and listened to it, which is so cringy. Oh my god, I was really um angry. So even my songs about girls were, yo. This is I don't even know if I have any song about girls. I'm, I don't even have, I didn't even know what a girl was. I had just lost my virginity. This is 1997. I had just lost my virginity 18 months ago. I think I still had only had sex with one person when this dropped. No, two, two people. So there were no girl songs. I didn't even know how to rap about girls. I was in love with Mel B and the Spice Girls. Who's on the cover of the album right there, if you could kind of see it. I superimposed her picture. If you wanna be my lover. Shingo 2 did my artwork. He had a company called Empire 22 that did t-shirts. He was a rapper and he also did graphic design. I don't know who took these pictures. I didn't credit them, I'm sorry. Um, but he created this thing where it says Merce and buildings is supposed to be Meadowbrook, the corner liquor store that I kind of grew up on. And then there's all kind of hidden, what do they call Easter eggs in here? Like I'm in the window, shingles in this window. Mel B is right here. The graffiti is INK, my first graffiti crew, GJU, which was Lucky's first like prep gang, MCGC, which I thought was being slick and um, the Mid-City Gaming Commission, but also Mid-City Gangster Crip imaginary gang definitely not a real gang shout out like carnalis which was a um latino gang in the area at the time earth 2 bts bts from those of you guys know it from uh end of the beginning Spenders, my homeboy Magi, aka TS, who was my best friend and DJ. That was our crew. He taught me to kind of write graffiti. Um, Rakos from Ha 42 did a little picture of a cat with a soda because I thought that Tommy Davidson's bit about a cat with a soda was the funniest thing in the world at the time. And that was a cover, man. And I was called for real because my uncle, who was a great man, and we had. I had had a falling out. I was falling out with my whole family around this time. Definitely, I was broke, living in a warehouse, trying to be a rapper. 
and I wasn't going to school, so I was a piece of shit to them. I was a bad influence, a shithead. Who the fuck knows what they thought? Probably fearful for me as I become a parent. They're just mostly just scared, but I wanted to, he used to, uh, joke with me and make fun of me him and his and my aunt his wife my aunt was other great great influence and person in my life would make fun of my brother would always go oh shoot frill 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 oh frill 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 it just became a, a thing and i was like yo like you gonna make an album are you gonna be a rapper i'm like yeah frill 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 i'm gonna be a rapper so i, I was like i'm gonna just and we say not frill not frill not frill like you know, we were playing around and joking, so it just became a thing for my neighborhood to, like, little little shit, little black kids say, like, pencil and ambulance and library. I was just super into just representing who I am and things that were unique to my upbringing. So I named it Frill, like, for real. Cause this is it. This is my first album. I was really a rapper. And my uncle had made comments about me not being a rapper, or not something about that, and I wanted to make that a thing. Walt Licker gave me a lot of these beats. I went to his house in Fremont after work at Rasputin's on the BART many days from the Coliseum BART to the Fremont BART and walking through East Oakland at night to do some of these. So he did the song for the record. He did the song Two Reasons, which is the first song on the album, which I wish we could get started, but um, we can't because the first song starts off with me saying the F word, which I don't say anymore, but the derogatory term for homosexual. Well, it starts off with Aesop saying it, man, uh, something I hesitated to keep putting this album out and repressing it because it was only on tape and CD for a while and I didn't make it streaming. And then when I agreed to make it streaming, it, I didn't really think about it. I was so wrapped up in, I was going through a divorce. I needed the advance. I needed that income to start coming in. And then when I put it out, I was like, oh man, I'm going to be streaming on platforms everywhere saying this word. But if you know my music, you know that in 2011, or 12, I came up with a video called Animal Style where I kiss a man and um, trying to be, and I spent most of my time since then trying to be an advocate for that community. Fresh out of high school, glad cause he hated it. Everybody in the senior class would call him gay, but it, it never bothered him. His name Jonathan, best friend Julie, she was cool, she went to prom with him. The principal said prom was no place no for a place queer for couple. If he showed up with a the boy, then there'd be real trouble. Empty threats. So I think it shows growth, but it's really hard for me to hear along with my horrible rapping. Yeah, man, the song's called Two Reasons. Me and Aesop had started a group called The Foundation. We could play a little bit of it. I see you on the corner. Maybe little girls taking candy from you. Maybe I see this happening. Oh, man. Well, that was me. That was me. I started it off with our fake Italian accents because we were listening to um, boot camp clip. Here it goes. Why can these chemicals have the imbalanced minerals of your state? Why can these chemicals have the imbalanced minerals of your state? That's lyrical miracles we were committing. Mischievous, bendable, whatever you call that lyrical skill. And still it's no miracle that the cereal world that you whip them with that milky sound. We call it a blow of food. You don't even know what it means. And that was my best friend at the time, my right-hand man. I don't know if best friend, my running buddy. We were both into skateboarding. We were both kids from the hood. Um, I think he grew up around Crips, too. He skateboarded. He sold weed. We liked the same kind of girls. I think we were the only people dating black girls in the, in the outhouse at that time, in Living Legends. I didn't know how to relate to non-black girls. I didn't know how to relate to girls, really. Aesop related to that. So he skateboarded, sold weed, and, and hung around the same chicks. That song's called Two Reasons Why. Our group was called The Foundation. And now that I see that my pattern is to put someone else in the spotlight with me because I'm uncomfortable with the spotlight. I don't think I'm good enough, low self-esteem, so on and such and such. So I was always looking for someone to team up. I felt naked without 3MG. I found Walt who gave us the beat. I found Aesop and like, we're the foundation. Me and Aesop were the foundation. And we started doing this song. We did this song opening for Busta Rhymes one night at Air Maritime Hall. <laughs> And afterwards, I'm standing on the side of the stage because I was too young to be backstage. And this 
dude with some skinny ass legs and some stonewashed green jeans. I can never forget it. And some brand new Jordans. And Jordans were a huge thing back then. Uh, I still hadn't bought a pair of Jordans. And uh, he's like, over, over my, yo, nigga, that was some hard ass shit you was spitting up there, blood. And I was like, oh my God, who what the fuck? All right. And I look up and it's fucking Saphir. Yeah, I know I'm an emotionally disturbed person. People think I'm talking to myself when I'm rehearsing on the rhyme. A mass production is a mass production. Man, I go a pedal to the left. There you go. Minimize the synthesizer wiser when I wind up for the pitch. But I don't pitch a bitch because the sales get derailed. And told he owed an He had been to the outhouse and hung out. I seen Saphir bench press three 45-pound plates on each side, I believe. Maybe four. Whatever equals 360 pounds. I see him toss that up 10 times like there's nothing. This individual is huge. Reg is savage. Savage. So he remembered me from there and he was, and to get props from Saphir, who his album's Box Boxcar Sessions, if you haven't heard it, uh, it meant the world to me. And especially after I had met him and he told us all these stories, he told us all the behind stories of Hyro Hobo and then a lot of the dudes in the independent scene that I grew up idolizing that I found out were busters. And he thought the same thing. I was like, yeah, dude, nigga, these niggas are busters. He called one dude I really don't like. He's like, that nigga's a, f it's the first time I ever heard a grown man call another grown man a coward. He's like, that nigga's a coward, blood. <laughs> I was like, he's a fucking coward. And I was like, God. But I felt him because he is a coward. And I was just like, man, he's just, he had the craziest stories, Tupac stories, Minister, he's Cousin Harold from Minister Society, for those of you who don't know, he had all these crazy stories. And uh, so when he told me I was dope, it meant so much on a level as an MC. And then when I got to know him as a human, there are very few people like us that do left of center rap that had a very hood upbringing. So he was one of those few and I really appreciated it. And that song, as whack as it is, got me that props. LP heard that. I made a tape with that song on it. Cause I also, once again, I made a compilation to take to New York when I had my big shot to go to Rocksteady. Shout out to Doze One, uh, um, Rocksteady, um, Zulu, uh, TC5, amazing artist Doze. He was our neighbor down the hall out of all people, this kid from the Bronx wound up being our um, warehouse mate, neighbor. And uh, he took a liking to me. We somehow booked Miss Journeyman to book Rocksteady Park, a Rocksteady Jam, a Rocksteady Anniversary. Man, we've gone far. But that's the house that I met Saphir at as well. And uh, yeah, we went to New York. I took that tape and I gave one to LP because we were going to be hanging out at the Gavin with them later doing a, sh a showcase in San Diego. And I, we, me and Aesop were huge Flow fans. And Aesop was supposed to be signed to Def Jux when I got signed to Def Jux before Aesop Rock. He liked us both so much because of that song, which is the first song on this album. But I didn't bring this album with me. I don't know if this album was made. I'm pretty sure this album was made by then. And I didn't bring it with me. I brought the other sampler instead with that song. tape was blue and uh this was as I, I said if you've seen the quality interview i did with him on people's party i talk about how i identify and i misspoke before i decided to, to knew i was black before i knew i was heterosexual before i knew i was a dodger fan mm -hmm. i knew i was a crip mm. the first man i ever looked up to not having a mother was o, my the og fester from neighborhood crip in my neighborhood mm -hmm. like that that's in me to, to the core of who I am, and I'm working on deconstructing that. And I misspoke. I identified as a member of my family, which was the Bowers family, because um, we have family reunions. My family's all from a small town in um, North Florida. I have 13 great aunts and uncles, uh, and they moved all around the world. But every summer we have, we're on our 106th family reunion. back and we honor um usually it used to be only in florida but uh yeah and we would go to florida so that was my first I, I, who i am you know but my first outside of my family who i am I, I, I was a crip like that's what i identified with living in linwood california and before that i just identified with gang culture in general because i lived in 
a blood neighborhood and being aware of that at four years old is a trip. But eventually I converted to the blue team at eight years old or whatever the fuck when we moved to a new neighborhood. And I took that with me. That stuck with me my whole life saying, cause wearing, not wearing red, but I have on red shorts right now. I'm, I'm grown up, a grown up. Um, but I made sure my first tape was blue. Not no souls of mistress. I didn't give a fuck who had red purple tape. My tape was gonna be blue since I heard of um, NOTS, which is niggas on the streets and, and Kiki, low Kiki Loco or whatever. In a sick road, niggas putting in work. I didn't stay in the heart, but on a rowdy ass outskirts. So watch your ass, the coast is gonna take you out. Blast your ass and blow your motherfucking brains out. Here's a trip. That, when I dreamed about being a rapper, all I dreamed about was having a blue tape. So my first tape is a blue tape. I'm on the inside wearing chucks and a sweatshirt and dickies. And I didn't dress like that in high school. But when I moved to the Bay, I got so defensive about people calling me blood and just, I missed LA and I, I always wanted to dress like that. My mom would never allow it. And I was going through my weirdo East Coast rap phase and weirdo phase and I had just cut my dreads. And I was like, man, this is how I always wanted to dress. I wanted a belt buckle with letters on it. I wanted Dickies, I wanted Chucks. And so I was dressing like that every year. I wanted brownies. I just wanted to look like an OG gangbanger. Selling weed, I was, you know, drinking 40s anyway. I was like, this is my life. This is what I always wanted to be. And it became, I don't say my persona, but it definitely became a phase I went through uh, trying to find who I am. M-U-R-S, a nigga known to rip a microphone, leave you entranced in a zone, much too advanced to be cloned, master of this urban rhyme science, combined with my legendary alliance, ninth wonders of the world right after the giant, East Oakland, California's where we concocted the formula the next song is A Samurai. Some bars on there. It's not that bad. Oh, Eli did that one. I got a beat from Eli. Then the next is For the Record, which became our first 12-inch, thanks to Lady T, Tara Bantz. 427 had a dope-ass beat. My nose, high pitch, very aggressive. Um, I sound like the homie Anacron, or we sound like each other because we were best friends. I don't know which one, which way it goes, but um, as I listen to this, I can hear his influence. Best line on there is um, Blockbuster B Boys from Crush Groove and Beach Street. Now I think it's safe to drop styles on beat. Blackluster, Blockbuster B Boys when Crush Groove and Beach Street. Now I think it's safe to drop styles on beat. I make them all retreat like back to back Halloween, destroy the following. Believe in rap to for spectators. For all you bitch ass record haters. Okay, yeah, now it's record haters was E40 line. So by then, by this time, I was already obsessed with E40. Thus, also for real, because he was always in them putting new slang into things. The yay. You know what the yay mean, right? The yay mean the bay. Named by me, E Feasible Belafonte Bellagiano Bellweather. And it can be yay, y'all. <laughs> yay. Catting off. <laughs> That's a Bay Area word for show for show. That's just lingering through the streets for many moons, you know. Catting off me, just, you know what I mean, just doing some old silly shit, you know, just catting off, fucking around. You know what I mean? Catting off. Hello. Next song is um, Basic Immerse, which is a freestyle. Hey, what's up? This is motherfucking Merce. You're here with my motherfucking Basic. So then, um, next song is Interview with the Dominant, who I told you guys last month about Kirby right. Dominant, hey. who I used to sell weed with as well. And uh, we also had like the hip hop hood thing going on, connection. And, uh, he was also a good freestyler and he was down with a crew that was kind of rivaling Little Legends, but nice rival, passive aggressive rivals. So I interviewed him about his album Rapidalism, the philosophy of dominant pimping that he would always talk about that took years to come out, but it's dope. Check it out, check it out, check it out. Welcome to Rapidalism. What is Rapidalism? Rap plus capitalism, which ain't the formula for fresh hip hop. The formula for fresh hip hop is vocabulary, that's right. We ain't on MC and rapper levels no more. That's we dealing with vocabularists. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the next song is M3 Anger. The M3 stands for Merce's Monologues of Madness. 
Yeah, bitch. No matter how you try, you ain't fucking with me. By just breathing air, I just suck at MCs. And no matter how you try, you ain't fucking with us. Cause if you about fresh shit, then you stuck with us. No matter how you try, you ain't fucking with me. No matter how you try, you ain't fucking with me. By just breathing air, I did suck at MCs. You stuck with us. Oh, you heard you could rap. Well, from what I hear, you would get served and slapped by any one of my crew members. Do you remember who wrote I was talking about the culture of 97, bro. I took this hip-hop shit very seriously. Blockbuster B-Boys rent Crush Groove and Beach Street. Now I think it's safe to drop styles on beat. Bro, I was at niggas neck about this hip-hop shit. I was literally starving for this shit. No matter how you try, you ain't fucking with me. By just breathing air, I just suck at MCs. And no matter how you try, you ain't fucking with us. Cause if you about fresh shit, then you stuck with us. No matter how you try, you ain't fucking with me. By just breathing air, I just suck at MCs. And no matter what you make, you ain't fucking with us. Cause when you eliminate the fake, then you stuck with us. Being the creator of a style all mine, I star online rappers out. It's not their fault, they don't know what the culture's all about. This don't go out to everybody in the chat room. Just those who assume that hip hop is an indoor sport. Next up was Say Anything, one of my favorite songs with my roommate, one of my best friends ever. Arata, Arata, who I did my first song with. And this song was produced by The Grouch. It's one of the songs that we made and everybody would rap on all these songs that were getting made daily in the house and I got to claim this one. So it was named after a movie that I still have never seen, but I love movies. This is, I had uh, all kind of samples to start. It was the fire side and the ice side. And I always wanted a tattoo of fire on one arm and ice on the other, the balance of the conscious and the street rap and blah, blah, blah. It was always about balance. And the ice side had, um, get ready to break the ice from the movie Rad, which is still a big deal in my life. Say anything, name after eighties movie. Arata just rapping and doing hooks in Japanese all the time. I just thought it's so dope. I don't even know what he's saying. That was my main fucking man. Me, him, and, and Aesop too. That was a trio. Whenever we can get a Arata to come out of the house. I was featuring PSC Arata, and then uh, Bizarro plays the horn at the end. There was a, literally a broken trumpet and he just picked it up off the ground and started playing it at the end of the song. Uh, I kept it. songs fun and that song is kind of stepping to the what it was like living in that house a japanese guy sleeping on arata slept on our couch most of the time because he didn't have money for rent and he would bum around with like english or japanese exchange students when he could but he also wanted to make music and smoke weed so he, that was the thing about me selling weed too i didn't sell a lot of weed on the street because i sold weed into my roommates i didn't smoke anymore but almost everyone that lived in that house smoked and they didn't want to have to go out definitely in East Oakland because I had better weed than that. And they wouldn't have to have to waste somebody to come give them weed. And they didn't want to have to go to Berkeley to get weed. So I just ended up selling. And then people down the hall smoke weed. The people next door, Hot 42, the graffiti writers smoke weed. Corey Sean Doe smoke weed. Um, some girls moved in down the hall, they smoke weed. So we had all kind of, I, I never had to leave the house, sell out. So that was another thing that was convenient. <laughs> um, the next song on Spotify is this song is called The Saint um, which was my favorite movie starring Val Kilmer at the time and it was about oh, a metaphor about bloods and crips and me being a secret agent who was separated at birth from his brother but you know Agent Red and Agent Blue I was always about like blood and crip unity even though I was like you know 
definitely identified with the the crip side of things i always was about promoting unity and i still think that's the secret to the success of at least the black community in cal in southern california maybe nationwide now that the epidemic is spread the epidemic being gang banging but uh so this was in my um stories because i didn't tell any stories since red dots really there's no stories on back for no good reason and i had these ideas and people red dots was still circulating and still getting some momentum so people were like you're a good storyteller you're a good freestyler and a storyteller and i want to do this album and i wanted to hit hit the spot with some stories I just been on my ass for the past couple years Jumped on the scene from nowhere, taking out all my peers And up my whole squad, I'm the last one left Cause for some strange reason, I always stay one step ahead Of this agent named Red And since I was younger, like I, people I knew in high school And knew my like life stories were always like, you should write a book I was being told I should write a book by the time I was 17, 18 Just from shit my, my dad and my mom, my stepdad and my little brother And shit I got into, into LA And um, so... Also, I have some stories about my real life on this album. The Saint, yeah, spy story. I was wondering why my voice is high pitched and my nuts hadn't dropped at all, really, but this song was really bad. And I forgot that Tone from Cytoplasms was also CMPX. If you look on the inside of I Wish My Brother Del George was here, he's one of the original members of Hieroglyphics, gave me this beat. And you can never track down Tone, bro. I don't know how I got this beat from Tone. But Tone gave me this beat. We agreed that I could have it. I don't know. I don't even know. Because usually I would trade a song. I didn't pay for any of these beats. I'd trade songs with people where the people would just gift them to me. I couldn't find how I recorded it into the ADAC. Because no one also, no one of the people lived in the outhouse would help me record. I had to record myself. We had an ADAP machine which I believe I put money in on and you had to buy. It was a huge machine that recorded VHS tapes, digital data. It was simply code. I think we had just got the ADAT XT. I put in on this thing and I didn't know how to use it, but no one would tell me how. So I recorded it at a faster rate. Also so long, the song, and I didn't know how to do punches. So I had to learn all these verses top to bottom song. This whole song is a four minute and 37 second story with no hook with mad words and I'm reading it off a fucking page handwritten out of my rhyme book and probably a hero I had a real fetish for um I don't know if that's proper uses of the term but I had a thing for Sanrio a hero no pleco and bad bats maru was like my bad bats maru was my thing so I bought all these books with bad bats maru so I'm reading this out of a bad bats maru book I think at the or, or graffiti book I would just write that when I didn't have anything with lines and I'm reading this so when I finished it I didn't want to re-record that shit and plus you have eight rappers in a house wanting to use that studio. There was never any time to record. So I was in and out, bro. Done. One take Jake, kind of. And so the song sped up. My voice is super high pitched. I'm offbeat, like I said before. The story's not that great. The twist in it that he's my brother is just corny. But I wanted it to be more like a corny spy novel. Like ghetto Tom Clancy, but even cornier. Not as well written, but... It was a it was a shot and the message under all line message was unity between bloods and crips. How cute. Next up we had uh Morocco Mike. Check this out. Now here's the story about this fool I knew from back in the day. His name was Mike. He used to kick raps around the way. I used to see this nigga every day up at the school. I mean, dude was cool. Type of fool who always said what he meant. You could peep him at lunch, freestyling by the bitch. How we lived in the hood. Some called the danger zone. This was based on someone reminded me actually on Micah 9 from Freestyle Fellowship. Loose, very, 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 very loosely. Um, more, the story was also um, about one of the best songs I ever heard in my life and best stories is um, As the Record Spins by The Derelicts, the rapper named Isido from San Jose. He handed me the pen My brain had deja vu Examination of the situation was a trap I held the pen while thinking back to what Jack the Mac had said about a contract Escape my only task I stabbed the VP then ripped off his mask It was Kane, no time to explain Black flip through the window Glass and endo in a small I'm um, searching for the perfect beat I don't know one of those songs called that But um, it's like as he handed me the pen My brain had deja vu Examination of a situation Anyway, as he handed me the pen Is how the song starts about uh, Getting signed to a record deal, going on a plane, 
jumping out of the plane, landing in New York on the subway, and then bombing the record label. And this is basically it. So as he handed me the pen at the end of the song, Morocco Mike, the guy stabs the man in the heart, the record exec in the heart with the pen that he signed his contract with. And that was my um, toss to Isido, who I wanted to start a group with, who I did meet eventually. I'm one of the most amazing rappers to this day still. I still think his old shit is amazing. I haven't heard any shit from him in 20 years. But um, yeah, definitely the dopest MC from I ever heard of from San Jose. There's a lot of dope MCs from San Jose as well, though. What? Mike and I got a huge deal with Capitol Records. Him and AC alone, Mike's album never came out. I was a fan. I was pissed about that. So I created this story kind of too as like revenge for Micah. Five. So I'll tell the story about 9-5 now, and then we'll get into Jerry Maguire's song. 9-5 um, was a basically an autobiographical tale about two years previously, where you guys have heard the stories. Um, also, I was going through, I graduated with a .545 GPA. My mother then said that I could stay. She told me if I graduated, I could stay. And you guys know a story about me living all around Los Angeles while I went to night school in Fairfax and went to school in Hamilton and worked in South Central at my mom's cleaners and slept on the floors of many different places. All that to say, when I finally did graduate, going to night school, regular school, and working when I could and selling weed and rapping and whatever, I managed to graduate. And so she let me move back in at a price and um, shout out to Walker Martin, who once again is a mentor of mine on the record store. His brother-in-law on another record store down the street, he let me um, work there so that I could pay my mom rent to live in a closet where I could touch both walls with my fingers. For, I really believe it was 175 350 a month. I don't remember. Ridiculous. Then when she found out that I had a 0.5 GPA, on my report card that was four F's and two D's and I still walked the stage. She kicked me out. I didn't get it. I followed the rules. I graduated. That was it. That was all I was supposed to do. Uh, so I rapped about that. I rapped about getting in a fight at the Santa Monica Promenade. I don't know what else I rapped about. The song. My life was so hard. I roll. 95 was some shit. Check it out. It was 95, the year of my graduation. I was in great anticipation of my date of release from this educational prison. Moms made the decision to throw me from the residence. It seems we and hip hop had taken precedence over my response. I thought I wouldn't survive, but I didn't think. I thought I did think someone was gonna kill me by the um, and I sampled uh, corrupt. I'm heated, repeated, day after day, daily survival tactics in LA. Tactics in LA. I'm on point and alert with skills like a hunting expert. Fuck around and get hurt. One of the best lines ever. Um, it's on the um, Dog Pound album Dog Food. I forget the name of that song, but it also features Rage, and Rage has the best verse on that song. One of the best verses in Death Row Records history. Here comes the tip off, cause Rage is about to rip off. Rage is knocking lips off, traveling like a spitball. I hit y'all right between the eyes. Traveling like a spitball, I hit y'all right between the eyes. Smack dab in the middle with my rhymes on my riddles. Ain't got no time to fiddle. Battle, dibble, dabble, got a rock like Fraggle. I'm hitting so hard that I'm leaving them snaggle. Like Leon Sphinx, this black cat's got your jinx. Fuck around and you'll get chipped off like the Sphinx. Think about it, better yet forget it. Uh, play like your bowl, cause you're never gonna get it. flow when uh, I know this shit by heart. Man, she killed it on an album, on a song with Daz and Corrupt. Next up was the Jerry Maguire song, which once again, I'm a very cinematic rapper. I wanted to be a, I tell stories. I'm in love with cinema, all thanks to my art history teacher, uh, Linda Shoemate at Hamilton High School. 
I was only in the movies, but she got me in the film. She showed me um, Apocalypse Now. At the same time, we're learning archetypes and um, Heart of Darkness and how it was similar to that and Coppola and what he went through to make the film. Because of her, I saw the Japanese movie, I think it's Japanese, that Pulp Fiction is based on how the time shifts and Pulp Fiction is based on another Japanese film. We watched that in, car, in the class which led me to Reservoir Dogs and then Pulp Fiction came out and I saw it and I knew it was based on, I just became a film nerd because of her. I know Jerry Maguire doesn't seem like a crazy ass, like cinematic masterpiece, but um, Cameron Crowe who did it is amazing. He's also a writer of Almost Famous, which is a semi-autobiographical tale. If you haven't seen Almost Famous, that Living Legends album is named after it. It's a great film. And uh, he also did Jerry Maguire, which Cuba Gooding killed, which Regina King killed, which Tom Cruise killed, which Renee Zellweger killed, which Jonathan Lipnicki killed. My name is Jerry Maguire. I'm a sports agent. You could say I'm at the top of my game, but something just isn't right. Jerry Maguire! What can I do for you, Rod? Show me the money. I was obsessed with that movie. I owned it on VHS. I would take it with me wherever I went. If we were going on a date, meaning Netflix and chill back in the day, I would have that VHS tape and knew if you were even going to think about sleeping with me or I wasn't thinking about sleeping with you, you were going to watch that film with me. And uh, I wrote that song at uh, I had a really big uh, issue with college MCs, MCs that were going to UC Berkeley in particular calling themselves MCs, but they were going to class every day. They weren't starving for the shit like I was. I had little to no respect for them. And um, my best friends, I think they were broken up at the time, but she moved over there and they had a party. And of course I went to all the parties to sell people weed and then she let me crash there. And I just remember waking up in the middle of the night, Eclipse gave me this beat on tape. And I think I still have my talk boy from Home Alone 2. I took my talk boy out, everyone's sleeping. I'm standing on this college MC's balcony that the house they are renting in Berkeley. And I wrote this whole song, just like never picking the pen up. It's one of the few songs I can remember where I was when I wrote it, how I felt when I wrote it. I could see it vividly. I know that I was drinking Coke and smoking, smoking beaties. And uh, yeah, stayed up all night and wrote the song and went to sleep like so pleased. Like I knew it was a dopest song. It says some good things. It's definitely one of the songs that I was in pocket. Rhyme scheme worked. I didn't have to write a hook for it, so it didn't. I would have wrote a corny ass hook for it. I had Eclipse cut, and it just says, with a cold cut scratch. And uh, it's horrible. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but we just filled it up with something because I couldn't come with the hook, and the beat is so dope to me. Eventually that one on the 12 inch that um, Lady T put out, the Merce 3, the first Merce 316 at 12 inch was called Merce, Merce I guess a 12 inch and it's not, it's not a single. I think there's three or four songs on there and asked, I don't have that vinyl. I should probably buy that on the internet if someone has it. First piece of vinyl, first EP or first EP on vinyl. And uh, that song was on it and I performed that song for a few tours up until 04 when 316 came out, I finally took that song out of rotation. And during the live shows, I would use, because I had to come with a hook, I would say, say life is what you make it. Say life is what you make it. Say fuck that, I gotta make it. And that really went on over well with a lot of crowds, especially the atmosphere crowd when I went on tour with them. live my life um which sampled uh uh live my life without you roger Chum, roger's that man i didn't like loving basketball i still don't like loving basketball I really think it's a great film. Uh, I don't like Insecure. I think it's a well-made show, and Issa Rae is amazing. But these are all the people who grew up that were the people who tormented me in high school. So watching their live stories is fucking annoying. And uh, 
so yeah not a huge fan of that but i think i had to give i think we sampled it off there i think that song's on that soundtrack so i bring that up Carmona, Mid-City, L.A. Okay, Lika was on the corner, basically raised on rap, found ways to adapt to every new hood I moved to. Another song about my life just from beginning to end. Nine Five is a song about the year. This is about my dad being on drugs and growing up in Midtown, being born on Pico and Carmona. I think this is the first time, like, I think the first time I'm really, like, getting down from Mid-City. Like, this is the street I grew up on, then I moved here, then I moved to the Valley with the white kids, and just telling my whole life story, kind of. It's my first album, getting people to know where I'm coming from, and it's a funk beat, which I rarely got, but Bizarre was able to make it more abstract and less G-funky, which was dope. And uh, DJ Fresh really likes this album and likes this song, and the new album is supposed to be for real part two that's kind of what he wanted to make he always told me he wanted to make for real part two because he identified with this and i think a lot of kids who um were in the underground hip-hop but weren't suburban kids really gravitate to as i grew up like people like subtitle i believe and i hope i'm not speaking out of turn and offending him um isaiah Toothaker or someone that i really read this album resonated with and fresh all from you know, more uh, rougher backgrounds than most people in the scene that we create music for. So yeah, that was Live My Life, produced by Picasso. Jerry Maguire was by, what's the dude named? Walt Taylor, aka Eclipse. Nine Five was by Walt Taylor, and Morocco Mike is by Walt Taylor, aka Eclipse 427, aka Walt Licker. This is Nights Like This, which was, I was obsessed with Five Heartbeats soundtrack, not the movie, the soundtrack. Um, nice like this. Oh, so amazing. Arata. I don't think he ever produced a song for anyone else in his life. That's Arata's beat. I think we were at someone's house and he made it on their MP. I wrote to it and we did it immediately. Nice like this, I wish that I could do it all over. But then again, you always make the better call when you sober hungover. Thinking what the fuck was going on and showing on late. And of course the sound didn't sound shit like when we checked it at eight. But it was all great even Um and then the next one is the extras featuring my best friend Terry T. Smith, who's referenced in almost every album I've done from this point, nineteen ninety seven till currently. God, black, black, God. You could see him in that video standing next to me. Um, if I have to pick one best friend, he's been there for everything and anything. Um, he rapped on the song. He was in a group called Church of Mine. Where he was the one who first kind of taught me about writing raps in a proper form. Him and our homeboy, Will, Mr. Glenn. And Will Glenn and um, I3, our homie Shama, produced this. And Evan Essence was one of the dopest MC, and I, I think I, I've apologized to him, but publicly, like I kind of discouraged him from being an MC because I was so frustrated with it, and I was like, "You don't want this life, man." But he was so dope, um, one of the best rappers I've ever heard. So me, him, and Evan Essence on a song called "The Extras" because um, Terry's older brother, big homie Eric Emac, would always I'm gonna be like, "E Dub, sorry," would be like, "Yo, the extras, extra, extra, extras was the thing." And so we called this the extras because the album was done. But then I got this is when I kind of shifted and moved back to L.A. Now, and though I'm five eleven, I can make a nigga who's seven eight and wants to test his fate, greet defeat with open arms. So you should always be alarmed. Like it's like I said with the Dickies and Chucks, like I was just wanting to be home, bro. I didn't know how much I loved L.A. till I had to leave it for a couple years. By 97, I was coming on my second year in the Bay. I had enough, man. I was going back and forth, bringing weed down. Man, I was really missing home. So then I, I like, Shema, a.k.a. I3, was producing beats. We went to some random house, hood house, apartment building in Gardena. And we did these two songs. I did Ease Back, which is a tribute to Ice-T. Because he said, Ease Back, Holmes, on um, the OG record, which is one of the best rap albums ever made to me. Ice-T, original gangster, who originated the term OG. Man, Ice-T, motherfucking L.A. player. So I always wanted to make a song. It would call Ease Back. 
I'm the sickest with this microphone, nigga better learn it All them bitch industry niggas you know I ain't concerned with See I move thousands hand to hand Even got an increasing number of fans in foreign lands Amsterdam, Australia to Japan All before my sign hit the line I was dotted The man holding the golden apple Y'all grab before the one that's rotted Surprised that I didn't spell this with one C or two C's. I was over that at this point, I guess. And then the last one was a sermon, me telling people about people with this hip hop and that the, the game was shifting at this point. Like I said, we started around 95, 96, there were still black people. And then it was starting to shift to a point where white people were getting really comfortable with hip hop and saying what was and what wasn't hip hop. And uh, that shit bothered me, man. All you motherfuckers. From outside, looking in, saying this is hip-hop and this is not hip-hop. Motherfucking hip-hop is what's being bumped in the ghetto. So if they bumping Puffy in the ghetto, who the fuck is you to say that's not hip-hop? I, I, I wasn't the hugest Puff Daddy fan, but um, he was a young black man expressing himself. And that's what hip-hop is, man. I don't give a fuck what you say. real hip-hop fake hip-hop and you guys have seen the breakdown i've done on it I, that's been nonsense to me since i was 17 18 i was you know I, never, I went through my phase when i was 14 15 i thought east coast was real hip-hop but um once those took me to new york um i guess this will end with that story uh we got booked for rocksteady we flew tower air I don't know if you guys know it, $200 round trip, $212, I'll never forget it because it's the number of the La Brea bus. Round trip, I don't think we had a place to stay. We didn't have hotels, they didn't fly us out. Mystic Journey was performing. I was doing the thing where I would just introduce Mystic Journeyman. I brought some tapes and uh, we landed and took the red eye. This motherfucker sunspot hit the weed and blew the smoke on the plane, bro. Pre-9-11, by the way. So there was not all the fucking metal, super, super metal detectors, but it was when they did have random security checks. You go through a metal detector, but it wasn't like it is now, but they'd have a random patch you down and always black people. I was flying on Southwest back and forth to LA whenever I could at the time. Those days I would like sell enough tapes and I'm like, I'm going, I told you I was addicted to LA. I'm going home. I would literally catch a BART or a bus to the uh, Oakland airport and just pay $98 Southwest. You could buy a ticket that day with cash and bounce out. I'll pay cash for a ticket, go home. $49, $48. I would call 1 800 IFLY SWA. Reserve it over the phone, pay cash when you get there because I still didn't have a credit card. Man, $68. Anyway, he brought weed knowing that you're black. And always, it was always one of us if we were traveling in a group because there's like five black people. They're going to charge, search one of us. Never grouch. So when 9-11 happened, that was one thing I was like, the results of it I was happy about was like, now white people and non-black people have to go through what we went through every time from rand being randomly selected. And oh God, paying cash for your ticket, you're guaranteed to be randomly selected. So he still through all that brought weed on the plane and still i remember sitting next to this motherfucker looking at him use a lighter on a plane hit the pipe and then put his head between his leg and blow it on the person behind us and that person was like what the fuck and it looked like it came out of their seat oh, i'll never forget that flight we land in new york we got a heck the train from jfk or LaGuardia. i don't remember which one my first time in New York without my parents. Second time in New York ever, I believe. We get on the train. I see a Dominican girl for the first time. Just, oh my God, I was in love, in love, in love. And um, of course, back then it wasn't cool to dip black and brown, especially in South Central. You're not dating a brown girl. Especially not a brown girl that wears dickies. But, um, man. First we went to Doze's mother's house in the morning. And his grandmother was in the window. And he's, we're in the projects. And I'm like, we're in the projects in the Bronx where Rocksteady started. Doze taught Ken Swift how to b-boy. He's an OG Rocksteady b-boy. And OG graffiti writer. And he's telling me stories. I'm like, man. And basically he's describing to me like we were just ghetto kids like you, like 
We were selling weed, snatching chains and purses. We were smoking angel dust, bro. We were out here. I was like, he's like, it was a gang. It wasn't no motherfucking fun, peace and love bullshit, backpack bullshit that these motherfuckers be on. We were kids from the project. He's like, look around. He took me to the bench. He's like, this is where I met Bam. This is where we met. This is where I met Kim Swift. Like, I'm like, this is a hood ass part. He brought me a 40 ounce of Ballantyne L. I got start drinking at 8 a.m. with him and we got fucked up. And he just told me it took me around with old like dudes named dude named scene, the different scene, not the scene that's more popular, like the dude scene. And he and another dude and we picked up another dude who was like a a, a, a sheriff or whatever they call it, a CEO. And uh, then they're asking him, have you seen such and such? Because, yeah, he's oh, yeah, I brought us some shit in there and they're talking about coke and cane and bringing smoking dust in front. Like it was crazy, bro. This shit was crazy. I can, sh I will shit you not. I was like, yo, these dudes are just hood dude. This dude is taking shit to his homie who's locked up in jail. And then we going here and we picking up this. And bro, it was some real live action. I was like, yo. And the whole time he's like, I'm looking at these Dominican girls. Like I've never seen anything like this in my life. It's the best of both worlds. And I could actually, and I was trying every time to be like, hey, what's up, girl? Yo, what's up, girl? Hey, blah, blah, blah. Hey, girl. Didn't work out so well. But um, we got to Rocksteady Park the next day. We perform. We're going to perform introducing Mystic Journeyman and the sound goes out. And they're like, can anybody freestyle? And uh, Supernat was on the side stage and Supernat was my idol. And I'm like, I don't stop me if I said this before, but I used to freestyle in front of a shrine. They had a picture of Supernat and Dell that I cut out of the rap pages and uh, a lyric breakdown of a freestyle that was turned into a hip hop quotable of the month for rap pages. And I would freestyle in front of it. I had come to New York before. I told my mom, I'm going to Washington Square Park because I hear that's where Supernatural is. I had a fucking Instamatic camera. And I was went to New York's Washington Square Park. And Supernatural went there when he wanted. He didn't go there every day. I read in a magazine that he used to go there. And he was there. I took a picture. He freestyled and said something with the stamina. Supernat looking. I smile for the camera. I took the picture. I still have that picture to this day of Supernat going like this. Love the way I move because I truly do get wild. My profile coming with the real freestyle. It's a lost culture. I'll sit back and relax. Max, keep the camera filming on the kids of Supernat. Notice people start to gather around with no rehearsal. Bring it in a little tighter so we can form a circle. Hey, rap son is a contact sport. Rhyming in the place that they call New York. Then Supernat, a couple years later, Supernat's on the side of stage and I'm getting asked to freestyle because that's what I did. When shit went wrong, we went to radio shows, Mystic Journey would turn to me. So I freestyle, I diss Karis one, I do some more shit because they just came out with the Obey Your Thirst. <laughs> fuck obey your thirst and everybody knew who i was talking to i'm in the bronx shitting on karis one in a freestyle and the crowd is going crazy and then uh, someone tries to introduce me to nat and that's like okay yeah cool and i was like all right and i remember most def was there he had his baby strapped to his chest lp was there this is one fun crew four rockets this is all pre-rockets i think the most def yeah most def single hadn't even dropped yet i knew most def from the daily from stakes is high and urban thermodynamics so i got to kill it in front of them then i went and got in a cypher and started just battling people and as you can hear if you hear this i'm super hyper aggressive now i'm super west coast super banged out like on like what's up cuz let's go and i'm serving people so I'm like, yo son where you from where you from i was like yo i'm from i'm from la you from cali nah son nah you ain't no warren g son you don't know g funk that's some real hip-hop son then we got on the bus and then i remember it being me and I know for sure Eternia and some other fools. Eternia was an MC and a mother of Mr. her and Mr. Left are married now. It was me, Eternia. People, we got on the bus, left Rock Study Park, got on the train in the Bronx. Motherfuckers are breakdancing, literally writing graffiti, beatboxing, and we're ciphering on the train in the Bronx. And I felt like the most hip-hop motherfucker on the face of the earth. I had just been blessed by those. I knew what real hip-hop was. I knew that I was it. And what I was fighting for in this sermon behind it was it. Like, this is a ghetto culture. We are ghetto kids. We are street kids. And we're doing street shit. And it was just like... This made it all like make sense to me. I was like everything that I believe was affirmed.
And I'll never forget that trip. I'll never forget that moment. That was uh, the For Real Era. Patreon.com slash Merce316. If you're hearing this, um, every time I try to hopefully leave you guys with a sample of the new freestyles and um, songs I'm doing over on Patreon. Um, so I appreciate all you guys supporting on Patreon. And if you're not, dollar to $25 can get you access to a whole bunch of shit that's not on social media because I'm falling way back from that. Uh, so I'll see you guys later. This is the Best Rapper in LA podcast, podcast, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I think we got the levels right. Shout out to Team 316. And of course, <laughs> I remember when shows were a thing. When it came to the road, I was king. 60 cities back to back, no problem. Carlos Day packed the van and we mobbing. Two decades of chaos in my way. Till COVID came and told me, take a break. Now I'm sitting at home with my wife and my kids writing rhymes on my phone. Then we dropped Felt 4. It's fucked up, we didn't even get to tour. Encore would have been Woman Tonight. Imagine all the joy that would have put in your life. I hope in 2021 we get a mulligan. Or maybe I'll collab with another friend. Would have been nice to tour with Aunt and Sean, no. Sip whiskey with Randy after a bomb show. Not a proper 12, just sitting on my shelf. It feels weird when I'm drinking by myself. I want you to come and buy me a shot. Say, thanks for coming to my town to rock. And then I buy you one in return. The fifth shot, so it don't even burn. I learned it's the small things that you miss. Wishing I could put a tour on my Christmas list. But my Santa got a blue hat Coming through with a stage for my new raps Folks asking, where Love and Rock is too wet? It's coming later this year, and that's true facts The receipt is in your email But this is freestyle, ain't for the resale No retail, only for the Patreon Team 316, I'm glad you came along It's like I'm making songs for my Real revolutionaries don't seek stardom The Black Panther started out in Harlem that's a little known fact Why they tried to hide the history when it's black We living in the age of information Heavy on technology but skinny on the patient And mine is wearing thin I don't care about the clothes you wear or your rims Here's your mind dressed in divine blessing I'm manifesting lessons for my people still stressing Beats and culture, juices and berries I'm one of one, why would you ever compare me? Scary to the white folks with their privilege And all the black folks who never lived in I'm just rapping, I'm just rapping, I ain't saying nothing DJ Fresh